Our scripture reading is found in Matthew's Gospel, the Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 28th chapter. The title of the message today, Nothing Short of a Miracle. Matthew 28, we'll start reading at verse 1. Please stand with me for the reading of God's Holy Word. This is the Word of God. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, and so if you're getting your days there, the Sabbath would be on Saturday, the Lord's Day would be on Sunday, the first day of the week. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. And they came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, there they will see me. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this Lord's Day, a day just like the one where you rose from the dead. And Lord, how we thank you for your resurrection, your death on the cross, that you're alive today. And Lord, we thank you that all over the world, people are worshiping you on this Easter Sunday. Lord God, we pray for the church universal today as the people of Sri Lanka have experienced devastation with bombings on Easter Sunday in their churches. We pray for the families of those who have lost loved ones, almost 200 of them. And Lord, we thank you for the freedom that we enjoy on this Lord's Day to worship in this place without fear. We thank you for our freedom and pray your blessings upon your church throughout the world that's suffering for you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the gospel. Would you give us, Lord, the, the focus and attention today to hear you speak? And we ask this with thanksgiving in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. Pastor Tim Keller believes that we should be more sympathetic to our skeptical friends. He says that the resurrection of Jesus Christ makes Christianity the most irritating religion on the face of the earth. Now, why would he say something like that? Because he says that people base their decision as to whether or not they believe it by whether they like it or don't like it. For example, he says he's had numerous people say to him through the years, I could never be a Christian. And when he asked them why, their response is usually, because there are parts of the Bible that I find offensive. 
And he said it's usually something to do with money and a lot of times something to do with sex. So he says he asked them a question. Are you saying because there are parts of the Bible that you don't like that Jesus Christ could not have been raised from the dead? They say, well, well, no, I guess I'm not saying that. So Keller counters, well, every part of the Bible is important. But would you please put the ethical teachings of the Bible aside for just a minute? And here's the point. If Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, then you're going to have to deal with everything in the Bible. And if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, why are you working yourself up over it? There's a recent BBC poll that was taken of the United Kingdom. Interesting statistic. It said 46% of Christians in the United Kingdom believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Think about that for a moment. 46% of Christians in the United Kingdom believe in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That means that 54% of Christians in the UK aren't Christians. There are some that believe the resurrection is optional. It is not. Why is Easter so important? Because, as Tim Keller puts it, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is a paradigm-shattering historical event. In short, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. Now, what's a miracle? A miracle is an extraordinary event in the physical world that surpasses all known human or natural powers and is ascribed to a supernatural cause. Say that again. A miracle is an extraordinary event in the physical world that surpasses all known human or natural powers and is ascribed to a supernatural cause. I've told you on many occasions that I like to play golf. As my golf game diminishes with age, I hold on to two pretty exciting historical events in my golfing career. It's called a hole-in-one. I've had two of them. My first happened when I was 23 with a four-iron on a 180-yard hole, water from tee to green, definitely a miracle. My second happened six years ago with a pitching wedge, and again, I'm, I'm saying clubs because there are a lot of golfers in this room, and they know what I'm talking about. It was a lot shorter hole, and yes, again, a miracle. Now, Alex Weddington and Lou Hart, twin brother and sister, both in our church have had more than I have in the teens, the high teens. Their father, Hunter George Weddington, a lifetime member of this church, he had more than they did. 27 at last count, I think. Pretty amazing to have 27 miracles. 27 holy ones. I have a couple of friends in the church. Many of you know them. 
Alex DeBartolaben and Kenneth Saul, two of the best golfers I know. They have played golf their entire life, and they have never had a hole-in-one. I asked their permission for me to throw them under the bus this morning. Now, what if Alex and Kenneth came up to me and said, Look, Rhett, since I have never had a hole-in-one, I don't believe that hole-in-ones can happen. Well, I would have to say to them, look, just because you haven't had a hole-in-one yet, and I emphasize the yet, because they've both gotten so close so many times, that doesn't mean it hasn't happened to other people in the past, and it doesn't mean that you won't have that incredible experience in the future. Which, by the way, I'm praying that it's soon for Alex and Kenneth. So when we come to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, we're talking a miracle, a miracle of major proportions. Yet there are many people, some of them your friends, some of them your family members, and possibly some of you here today, possibly, who would say to me, I can't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ that it actually happened physically because I don't believe that supernatural activity exists So, miracles cannot happen. Which brings us back to our text, which states that the eyewitnesses, the eyewitnesses to the miracle on Easter Sunday morning, saw something that Sunday morning that they were not, not prepared to see. And I have witnesses to both of my hole-in-ones. And trust me, my hole-in-one was the last thing that my eyewitnesses expected to see that day. So let's look at two lessons this morning and the time remaining. The first is this, the response of the women. Our text says that the women, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. What other Mary? Well, there are several Marys that we have in the Gospels. This was the mother of James and Joseph, all right? So Mary Magdalene, along with the other Mary, they knew that the tomb where Jesus had been laid had been secured. They knew where to come because they had already been there when Joseph of Arimathea, a friend and disciple of Jesus, was securing the stone, the tomb, by having this large stone rolled across the entrance. So the women who had witnessed the crucifixion, according to Matthew twenty-seven fifty-six, and the burial, according to Matthew twenty-seven sixty-one, these women are present to witness an amazing and terrifying event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But there's no description of the resurrection in our text itself here, or really anywhere else. What we have is the accompanying circumstances surrounding the resurrection. Look at verse 2. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. (laughs) I just love the image of that. There's no suggestion that the stone had to be removed so that Jesus could walk out of the tomb, but only that the stone had been taken away so that the people could see that the tomb was empty. 
That's why the stone was rolled away. And then you have the earthquake, which implies the judgment of God, along with the, uh, the appearance of an angel, which I think God did both of these to impress and to completely terrify the guards. I really do. Now I'm getting ahead of myself. What was the initial response of the women? The response that you and I would have had. They were terrified. They were scared to death. Look at verse 5 and 6. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid. He said that because they were afraid. Do not be afraid, for I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. And at this, Matthew tells us that the women hurried to go tell the other disciples. And an important point, Matthew adds, as they hurried along, they were filled with joy. It was a complete shock to them. They were not expecting to find an angel sitting on a stone announcing that Jesus had risen from the dead. Can you imagine being notified by an angel of the resurrection of Christ and being told, go go tell the others. And the excitement, the joy that filled their heart. The response of the women is the response that we would have had. If we could have been there to see that miracle on Easter Sunday morning. The second lesson is the response of the guards. And this one's a little bit more comical. The guards also are witnesses to a miracle. But notice how they responded to the miracle. Verse 3 says, His appearance was like lightning. His clothes were white as snow. (laughs) Verse 4 says, The guards were so afraid of him that they shook. Now, have you ever been so cold that you're shaking? Well, they they weren't even cold. They were just afraid. And they're shaking. They shook. They were so afraid. And became like dead men. What an analogy. Dead men. Shaking. Now, we read a little bit further in verse 11 and following of 28, chapter 28. We didn't read this in the beginning, but I want to read it now. Matthew 28, 11. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. When the chief priest had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money. (laughs) They always do, right? They took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. The unbelief of the Jewish leaders is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Confronted by the evidence of their own soldiers that something pretty incredible has taken place, i.e. an angel has appeared and the tomb is empty, they still, they still do not reconsider their position about Jesus. And it really is almost comical that in the face of a true miracle, the Jewish leaders completely disregard the miracle and they come up with a plan to cover it up. Verse 13 says to the guards, this is the chief priest and the elders speaking to the guards, you are to say, 
His disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. Think about that for a moment, please. And they paid off the guards who agreed to do just as they were told. But this plan is is pretty funny. If the guards were asleep, if the guards were asleep, how did the guards know that it was the disciples who came and stole away the body? If they were asleep. So the chief priests and the elders are not interested in anything but defending their position. Because they wanted Jesus dead at all costs. They had no concern for the truth of the matter, only maintaining their position. And we know these facts became known because Matthew reports in verse 15, this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this day. Which is the setup for Resurrection Sunday. It's the setup. The Jewish leaders were all trying to do what? To stop the work of God. To stop the work of God. Yet in our text, we see that those obstacles, they don't work. Best way to put it is to say, Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Although there's all these obstacles, there's this big stone, the seal of the guard put there by Pontius Pilate. It just doesn't matter because there's nothing, nothing that can stop what God is doing. See, the only problem with the Jewish leader's plan is Jesus was seen by many, many, many people after the resurrection. So look with me in Matthew 28 again, and this time let's look at verses 16 and 17. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. They worshipped him. But some doubt it. Some doubt it. Some of you doubt. It's a pretty common thing. I'm really not surprised about the doubters. Because after all, they were witnesses to a miracle. And when you actually see a miracle, it's hard to believe. But according to Scripture, a lot more than the 11 disciples saw Jesus after the resurrection. According to the Apostle Paul, as many as 500 people saw Jesus at one time. Forty days Jesus spent among his disciples, making himself known, making appearances after he had bodily risen from the dead. And I I know you didn't see it. I know you didn't see it. But if you still doubt the eyewitness testimony of Holy Scripture then just look at the people that you know around you who believe and who continue to believe in spite of the trials and the temptations and even the tragedies that they've encountered. There are living testimonies all around you. All around you. There are living testimonies in that insert of yours. Memories of people that are loved. People that walked with Christ and believed, even though they had not yet seen. I love the scripture in John 20. John chapter 20, if you want to turn there to verse 29. John chapter 20, verse 29. He had just had an encounter with Thomas. And you know, we all like Thomas, right? Why do we like Thomas? He was the doubter. We all relate to Thomas. 
Because it's easy to doubt, isn't it? Jesus encountered Thomas who said, I don't believe that he's risen from the dead. And what did he say to him? Put your finger here. Put your hand here. Stop your doubting and believe. And then Thomas said, My Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him this in verse 29. Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Nicole Cliff became a Christian on July the 7th, 2015. I don't know her, but she shares her testimony in an article that I read, and it got my attention because she was one of the many nuns around the world. Nuns spelled N-O-N-E-S. It's a growing number of people in this world who are in that category of, I'm a nun. I don't believe in any of this. I'm an atheist. So, what she said got my attention, so I kept reading. Her testimony comes in an article after what she called, quote, a very pleasant adult life of firm atheism. And that got my attention. She says this, The idea of a benign deity who created and loved us was obviously nonsense, and all that awaited us beyond the grave was joyful oblivion. I had no untapped, unanswered yearnings. But here's how she describes what happened to her. She says, first, one day I was worried about my child. And so, without thinking, I said, be with me to an empty room. She said, it it was embarrassing. I didn't know why I said it or to whom I brushed it, to whom I said it. So I brushed it off. I moved on. The situation resolved itself. I didn't think about it again. Second, I came across John Ortberg's obituary for philosopher Dallas Willard. So I need to clarify that by saying John Ortberg is a Presbyterian minister in California. I'm a big fan. He knew Dallas Willard. And Dallas Willard was a great man of God, a philosopher, yet a Christian, who wrote about the spiritual disciplines of following Christ. And so she says, I read John Ortberg's obituary for Dallas Willard because John's daughters are dear friends. And listen to this. She says, they have always struck me as sweetly deluded in their evangelical faith. But because I had a friendship with them, I read the article. Ortberg shared that somebody once asked Dallas Willard if he believed in total depravity. What is total depravity? It's what we Presbyterians believe. We believe that we're all sinners. That we're all totally depraved. That does not mean you're as bad as you're, you could possibly be. But it means that every part of you has been touched by sin. Because of Adam and Eve's sin in the garden. And so, he was asked if he believed in total depravity, and she's reading this obituary, where Dallas Willard responded saying this. He said immediately, I believe in sufficient depravity. I believe that every human being is sufficiently depraved, that when we get to heaven, no one will be able to say, I merited this. I earned this. And then she says this. A few minutes into reading the piece, I burst into tears. 
Later that day, I burst into tears again. And the next day, while brushing my teeth, while falling asleep, while in the shower, while feeding my kids, I would burst into tears. She says she decided to read more Christian books. And every time, she says, she cried all over again. She emailed a Christian friend and asked if that friend could talk to her about Jesus. And she says this, but about an hour before our call, I knew. I believed in God. Worse, I was a Christian. I was crying constantly while thinking about Jesus because I had begun to believe that Jesus really was who he said he was. So when my friend called, I told her awkwardly that I wanted to have a relationship with God. And we prayed. Since then, I have been dumped by a pastor in the Pacific Ocean. I have sung, Be Thou My Vision, and celebrated communion on a beach. I go to church. I pray. Even after accepting Christ, I continue to cry a lot. My Christian conversion has granted me no simplicity. It has complicated all of my relationships. It has changed how I feel about money. It has messed up my public persona. Obviously, it's been very beautiful. I just love that. And it just goes to show you that the gospel can come through anywhere. That God can preach the gospel to us through an obituary. That God can use our friends and whoever he wants to bring the gospel to us. You see, I believe you're here today because... God loves you. He's coming for you. He wants you so much in a part of his family. He wants you to follow him. And he's pursuing you. And maybe you're here because a friend invited you to come. I don't know why you're here, but I'm thankful you are here that you might hear the gospel. The gospel is all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. That's all of us. And there's a penalty to that sin. That penalty is death. And if we don't do something with our sin problem, we're going to die in those sins. But Jesus knew that and came for us, went to the cross, died in your place and mine. He didn't deserve to die on that cross, but he went there because he wanted to pay your debt for sin. And then on the third day, he defeated death in the grave and rose from the dead. And then he ascended into heaven a little bit later. And sent to us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, we've never seen the Holy Spirit either, but He's here. And He's speaking to your hearts today. If you're a believer, if you're one of those 46%, you're excited about this day because you know your Savior lives. Many of us are here on this Easter Sunday because Jesus has become our only hope in life and in death. He is our song. He is the reason that we sing. He is the reason that in in the midst of difficulty and struggle, we can have joy. Joy in Jesus Christ. And that brings us to our verse of the week, which is John 11, verses 25 and 26. John 11, 25 and 26. You'll find it in your bulletin underneath your outline. Let's read it out loud together. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, 
even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And that's really the question of the day, isn't it? This was after the death of Lazarus. And Lazarus' sister came to Jesus. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then, do you believe this? Martha believed. Some of you today, it's your turn. It's your turn. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your death and resurrection. We thank you on this Easter Sunday that you live and that your spirit is here. The Holy Spirit is in this place because we're here to honor you, Lord, and to lift up your wonderful name. Such a beautiful name, the name of Jesus. And we bow before you, Lord, in prayer and thank you for your presence and pray that you would touch our hearts and, Lord, that you'd lead us to you. We know you're pursuing us. Because you love us so much. And so I pray that you would touch the hearts of those that are running away from you. And bring them home, Lord. Bring them home to you. To put their trust in you as Savior and Lord. And if they're already Christians, to renew their faith and trust in you. That they might continue from this day forward to walk in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for your love for us. May we embrace your love today on this Easter Sunday and give you the praise that only you deserve. Through Jesus, our Lord and King, I pray. Amen.